Hey guys, this is Pastor Mustard, a podcast set up by the team behind the venture agency, Mustard. Mustard was founded by myself, and Debussy KJ, and back then, a group of engineers who moved from hard-nosed, research-minded geeks over a five-year period to those who believe in the power of brand stories or narratives. On that note, if you haven't done so already, you can check out the first podcast where we discuss how engineers came to believe in narratives. At Mustard, we're underpinned by our belief that Africa's future image will be largely shaped by the brands it's able to produce and their ability to attract and move global audiences. And this has led us in turn to turn into a venture agency that works with passionate founders and investors to build better products, better brands, and better perceptions for Africa. We launched this podcast to capture and share the discussions we always tend to have on the thinking, philosophies, and ideas behind what we say and do at Mustard. And since we tend to shoot the breeze like this with our friends and clients too, we'll be including them as special guests in future podcasts and trying to make the vibe as relaxed and as unedited as possible. But we want to share our thinking with you and also get to know yours in return, especially if you, like us, are enthusiastic about or somehow working and building within the African tech space. So please do reach out to us on social, uh, IG and Twitter in particular, using our handle only by mustard, and yeah, use the hashtag past the mustard too. Also, please do subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends, colleagues, and family, especially if they are as passionate as you are about the ventures and narratives being built on the continent. In today's podcast, we're continuing in our kind of getting to know us vein. So we'll be speaking with our chief evangelist, Andrew Zakandi, on his past life as a quote-unquote corporate warrior and unearthing how he moved from shiny professional service industries to the riskier and definitely, with us, more philosophical African ventures and narrative space. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, don't forget to follow us and share the podcast with others, which will help us grow. That can really take it forward. And, and that's pretty much where we work. But obviously, Andrew, you know, coming from the professional services world, both in as the as the African nomad in Namibia um, and then moving all over to, to London in, in, in management consultancy, like, I guess there's two questions. One is, you know, answer them in whichever way you want. Like, but it's like one, like, why did you choose to go to entrepreneurship and also of course like join join our team um what was the thing that grabbed you but also secondly like how does it how does it differ because you're going from magic consultancy kind of big name brands where you can just flash the business card to you know mustard kind of no name in comparison and working in a very very different segment but but yeah what what was the thinking bro yeah i mean i started off as a lawyer actually in Namibia and it was a law firm but it was a small business all okay. Namibian law firms are pretty small like, what, because what are we talking? how many how many people we're talking about there were probably at the time six partners and maybe okay. 15 full-time staff something like that oh, okay. so it was a it was a fairly small business uh, as far as what I had experienced before. And um, it was very entrepreneurial, um, interestingly, because every partner had to do their own thing. Um, mm. Yes, you had a secretary, but you had to set your own agenda, define your own tools, hold yourself to account, and find ways to make budget at the end of every month, basically. Yeah. And you were a partner, right? You I partner, was not a partner. I was a junior yeah. lawyer, but it was, so I didn't even have, you know, I, I had a secretary eventually, but 
for a lot of that time, I was just, um, I had to do everything myself. I had to, I had to, I remember writing and then putting my own letters in envelopes and getting stamps, <laughs> putting the stamps on the envelopes. <laughs> Licking then, your own stamps. <laughs> exactly. So that was the beginning. That was my first real job. So I think it was actually interestingly closer to entrepreneurship and, and inverted commas um, than most lawyers would think, especially here in the UK and in the West. So yeah. I le left Namibia and then came to London and started working in management consulting, really focusing on risk and due diligence, but always with helping clients to look at African deals and did that for a decade and worked mm. at a lot of interesting places. And it was the most interesting type of consulting I think you can do. It was not um, spreadsheets and um, you know, uh, long drawn out, boring uh, engagements. It was get on a plane, go to Nigeria, go see what's really going on with this business that the client wants to invest in wow. or, or go speak to some ex journalist or ex government intelligence type person in Kenya to figure out if, um, you know, this particular sector is going to survive the next election. So it wow. was answering really cool and interesting things. It was Questions. sort of much more investigative research than it was management consulting. But here's a question. Did you do, I mean, that's like high level stuff, but also very kind of detailed stuff. I would probably say, did you learn, would you say you learned a lot about business um, and maybe more so than you would have learned at a different consultancy firm? hundred percent. I think so. Because what we, my job was really to get under the guts of um, a particular business and figure out the things that the lawyers and accountants would miss. That was mm. the brief. So it was, we've looked at all the, the financials, we've gone through the contracts, it's still a high risk deal, or it's a high risk counterparty, or it's in a high risk jurisdiction. We want to know what we're missing. So tell mm. us what we're missing. And so your job is then to look under the hood of businesses big and small to mm. figure out what makes them tick and to cast your eye onto things that people often miss. So mm. for example, you know, if you were looking at a big energy deal, um, how do you assess political risk? How do you um, uh, assess uh, integrity and corruption issues? How do you know if the business is overly reliant on one individual for key person risk, mm. or if that particular individual is overly reliant on a political connection that might not be there after the next elections, right? And so yeah. it was it was getting a much more holistic understanding of what makes this thing tick. And then also just down to things like, what is the CFO, what's their relationship like with the founder? And okay. we, we heard that there've been longstanding disputes between the major shareholder and the executive team. What's that all about? Um, wow, you know, you know really so, nuanced stuff. Exactly, man. and it was, okay. and 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 you know, this this was it was incredible to me. Was I felt so bad because I was doing this usually for the multinational or the global investor, mm. and who was going to who had a counterparty that was from the region, and. If you know, usually the the client would have us look at something for three, four, five, six weeks in granular, forensic detail, answering mm -hmm. not just the basic questions, but also all these other seemingly peripheral issues, and then they would show up at the same meeting, and my poor brothers on the other side and sisters would rock up with their 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 files, 
you know they've looked at the numbers nicely having no mm. idea there's a there's a 20 page report <laughs> potentially <laughs> <laughs> on everything they've ever done in business wow um you know and it's just it's 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 it showed me like wow these guys really do um these multinationals really do uh, invest a lot in trying to understand what makes the business tick and that stuck with me but then eventually mm. over 10 years you know i started getting a bit frustrated with it was super interesting work, but I started getting a bit frustrated with just investigating deals other people were doing and yeah. commenting on businesses other people were growing, you know? And I was like, I want to get closer to the action. The action I want to get closer yeah. to, to, building the, to building the venture or at least closer to the center of the deal, um, yeah. you know? And, and I want to take some risk in the opportunity, you know, since if I'm going to be working on it for a year, I want to take some risk and I also want to take some upside. <laughs> And so, um, plus the more senior you get in consulting, the further away you get from the, uh, interesting on the ground work and more managerial you get now is just your job to walk around Mayfair winning business. Yeah. Right? And so, um, so then it got, it started to get pretty corporate. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, at that time I also had started working less on big mining and engineering and infrastructure projects and more on, I started taking interest in like technology enabled and tech businesses in Africa. Mm. It started with ICT stuff, you know, it started with like tech yeah. infrastructure. Infrastructure, so exactly. Initially it was like data centers and mobile phones, but then increasingly clients started coming to us big, you know, like sort of VCs and, and smaller mm. private equity funds and even larger ones saying, you know, Hey, um, what's happening in, in, the the sort of startup ecosystem you know and so that's okay. when i was like wow this is interesting and this was several years ago you know before it okay. was i think took sort of mainly took off and so i was able to get a, a couple of projects where I, I was able to i was tasked to like map out the whole sector you know okay um and, and, and when you're mapping this out i mean is this like so are you going by tech hub to tech hub or are you going by company to company like what, what what's mapping out the sector it, it could be all of those. So one client okay. came and said, we want to understand all of the, that we want to understand, we want a map of FinTech trends okay. across Sub-Saharan Africa, whatever that means. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. And, okay. and they were like, you tell us what that means, right? Because then yeah, you, ask, you, yeah. ask, you ask for the 10 questions and you're like, well, do you mean per country? Which countries? Yeah. Is there a particular sub-region you're interested in? Do you, what kind of FinTech quickly, do you want, you know? you quickly kind of look around and say, okay, there's a lot of stuff happening in West Africa, in particular in Nigeria. And you start, don't start going into Gambia and every, everywhere else you kind of focus you in. The question yeah, is yeah. what, what do you think we should know about this particular yeah. topic? And then, and they, you know, the onus is on you. So, so you start, I started, I started off, that's what it started off as for me, you know, mm. and, um, my entrepreneurial flair from when I was younger started to be peaked again, you know, and I was like, mm. man, this is so interesting. <laughs> um, you know, there seems to be a lot more interest really and serious interest in these earlier stage tech enabled, um, faster growth, uh, businesses on our, in our region, mm. which eventually grew into, you know, much more of a Silicon Valley style, uh, ecosystem for a while, or at least it tried to. But, um, when I was there, all it was, was hey, we're interested in faster growing tech yeah more tech enabled businesses that was you know there wasn't yeah. it wasn't quite as as evolved um as it is today so anyway i um at that time you know i started 
I was on like every panel to do with Africa tech, every panel to yeah. do with African startups. I went to every event and I tried to set in every panel I could. And initially my little angle on it was just due diligence and risk management insofar as it relates to the sector. Right. Yeah. So, Cause that was what I knew. I knew diligence, mm-hmm. risk management, market risk. And then I was like, Makes okay, sense. let's apply these things to tech. And no one else was really doing that in my world because they were all trying to pull in multi-million dollar contracts and some infrastructure sector, or whatever. Yeah, so I was like, deals and stuff. Exactly. So I was like, okay, let me try carve a little niche out for myself within my sector, but focusing on this issue, um, hoping that it would eventually grow and um, I would grow with it, right? And then I'd be the guy <laughs> in yeah, relation yeah. to that. And 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 it, it it worked pretty well. But then again, I started getting I started getting fed up with writing reports and not building anything. Um, mm. And so at that time, I think you and I started to talk and oh, we yeah. were introduced by- We used to have very, very frustrated conversations. Exactly, you know, exactly. I remember calling you, calling you, calling you once. I mean, we won't say names, but I called you one time. I think you were in Sainsbury's or some kind of shopping groceries. And I just called you to, to just unload um, this frustration when I saw another company that you know had just started overnight come from the western world and 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 was killing it um but i knew like two or three or four or ten other companies on ground who had started you know twenty thousand years ago and just just hadn't really grappled with design or or narratives or comms yet and yeah we had many a conversation like that right and interestingly i had been to a house party with said founder um, very, 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 very shortly before you brought that up, oh, and, and so, yeah. so that's what, so, and and it, and so, it, what you were saying really resonated very recently with me. Yeah. Um, where I was like, wow, you know, um, there's re- people raising real amounts of money now um, uh, in terms of uh, African startups and entrepreneurial endeavors and ventures, and um, they're coming from outside the continent to do so, and. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it that um, we none of the homegrown entities are getting the same level of traction um, mm-hmm. on the in the region, but also globally, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was that was a real run. And also, I'd started investing a little bit of money in in sort of these Africa focused. Um, either like accelerator type style yeah. platforms. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I'd started earning a little bit of sweat equity into some of the startups. So I, I was I was going beyond simply just being a consultant and I was now starting mm-hmm. to get my hands dirty and get involved. Yeah. And that gave me a real taste for like um, building, you know what I mean? Like trying to build yeah. and, and or at least associating myself with people who are building and then helping them build. And uh, that's yeah. when we started talking. Yeah. And, and, and to be clear as well, like, you know, it's, I mean, we, we've worked with guys who are, you know, not originally from the continent and, and, and I guess my issue, and I think our issue was not that those guys were succeeding. It was that, um, cause in the end of the day, look, you know, if it's Africa focus and there's stuff that brings, you know, value to the continent, that's great. But it's, it's that it's, you know, the, the homegrown guys were so clearly not 
succeeding, right? You know, they, 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 it was just that huge disparity. And, you know, obviously I've got thoughts about that in terms of in terms of just like narratives and everything and design and everything that's on the continent. But um, yeah, yeah. So you got interested in building. Obviously, you're not a builder, right? Or you weren't originally a builder. You, you know, legal Tink, background. Tinkered around. Tinkered around with the few tinkered, things. Tinkered, tinkered, I like it. Done a bit of dumpster diving and putting, <laughs> putting things together, you know, MacGyver type stuff. But um, yeah, so obviously... We are, as you know, mustard is not in the PE space. Mustard is very much in the tech space, but even, but in particular, like we're not. I mean, we we used to, but you know, we we we've moved away, and especially when we started having serious conversations about you coming on board, it was it was about moving away from trying to work with companies that have that have you know founded something and started raising. It was really about going all the way back to to inception and and to that concept con, you know conceiving stage so so what what was interesting about that and also maybe what was interesting about you know what would mustard in particular obviously which was the charles back then but mustard in particular and the, and the narrative yeah so it was the first time that i had come across um uh, people who had engineering backgrounds that had built things in 3d as well as digital things um, to a high standard that were also focused on africa that Mm. were also really cared deeply about design aesthetics and the the impact that a product or a business can have beyond the just the business that it uh, is owned by so mm. you know the power of a you know a, a successful product brand to create like momentum behind something you know yeah. and um and i i had seen that elsewhere right we'd seen so many examples of that in in the west where a brand would sort of just like transcend its mm. specific category and then become representative of a country or a people yeah. or and then it would it would really like catapult the reputation and esteem that people mm. have for that per that, that 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 group of people or that country right yeah um but and and I'd never really seen there were these things I just thought I thought about in my own mind, um, mm. you know that were sort of a little bit esoteric and that you know you debate after like the third pint and then you start getting a little bit philosophical about things, and yeah. that was just me, right? But then meeting you and meeting the the you know the team and seeing people who not only thought that way had thought a lot uh, had thought in that way in a lot more detail for much longer than I had. And mm. and had built a, a value proposition and a business around these things, right? Mm. So I was like, man, I get to work with engineers who create stuff. Already, that was already I loved that, right? Because I was like, I I was for me, I was drawn to that because I'm I've always been like a professional services advisor. So the idea of being able to create something is is really appealing to me. But mm. then, but then I I quite quickly realized that. Um, that is a incredibly important skill, but it, it is, you can create the most amazing widget and put it in your cupboard and nothing will ever happen. Right. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, 
And so then the the power of um, not just visual identity or marketing, um, but of connecting the the thing you're making to a greater to a greater uh, wave. Um, yeah. And and allows you to ride that wave, right? Um, yeah. And allows you to get momentum behind that. We've seen that happen here, uh, you know, quite a lot, right? Like brands, yeah. sometimes quite cynically, will brand will like plug into some, disingenuously plug into some bigger wave, hoping to, yeah. to ride it. I'm not talking about yeah. that. I'm talking more about, um, you know what? We need successful we need this your company you're an amazing founder you've got a fantastic idea which could really genuinely transform the region we need this that would be amazing to do it but we need this Mm. to work not just because we want you to make money and because we want you Mm. to employ people but also because that can be the way that we begin to change these perceptions of our region globally right yeah Um, yeah and uh to do that it's not good enough to just be a good engineer or a good operator, right? Yeah. You need to really deeply understand what drives market adoption and what drives um, uh, people outside of the region and in the region to to really care about yeah what you're building, you know? Yeah. And so that yeah. takes that takes it beyond a pretty logo and and some good press, right? That now really needs a much more sustained, holistic, comprehensive, um, reactive and adaptive um, approach to how people perceive and engage with um, your product and also your your brand and 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 the whole piece, right? Yeah. And I never, yeah. I didn't have the language to describe that idea until I met with you guys and we had these freaking hour long, hours long conversations. Yeah, exactly, it wasn't um, an hour <laughs> about like, comparing different. You know, why did this brand work? Why did this one fail? You know, what was the difference between um, Red Bull and Goovy? Uh, I don't know if you remember. Mm. Now I'm dating myself, but I remember Goovy was 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 the slightly sexier club-based uh, energy drink that oh, came really? out. Yeah, which which had a lovely, probably arguably a much nicer um, visual identity, but they just okay. they lacked any compelling um, narrative, mm. you know. And so many of these fell by the wayside. So why did Red Bull succeed? Because they had this amazing story behind them, which was also authentic yeah. to what they had built, and they car- yeah. it carried them through. And that's actually what led them. They led it. it almost the, this this story and narrative and and this this roadmap they built out, but what they wanted this thing to be is what pulled the product forward, right? Mm. And I'm I'm talking about something that's analog now, but I think the same thing applies, especially applies to tech and tech enabled um, products because the risk there mm. is, oh, it's clever tech, therefore it will be succeed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, 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 but like I always say, there are no, I, I used to say this, I, I, I don't know if you say, heard me say it recently because I just, I just don't say it enough maybe or, I don't, or, or maybe because I don't have to, but I used to say there is no such thing as a time machine, right? If you build a time machine, right, which is obviously genuinely different because, you know, it's, time machine right then after of course you don't need that much press and you can just walk in front of an investor walk in front of a client and say guys here's a time machine drop the mic and leave right but uh, but exactly. you don't there are no time machines actually as you will find out from from your fintech research and everything else like there's actually a lot of duplication which is which is fine because obviously the market's not saturated but it's 
in any tech market in 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 Silicon Valley, wherever there's a lot of duplication, right? So, but 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 here's my question, right? Because I find, I mean, you, you said the word operators, and I, and I I like to kind of um, very crudely divide. Um, you know, I, I love kind of archetypes and and kind of dividing or segmenting people into things where currently they are, they you know, they're kind of like thought patterns or where they're more naturally or at that time they fit better. And and you say operators because <clears throat> I find there are a lot of operators. You know, I'm I'm speaking more, yeah, maybe particularly around the Nigerians now, you know, fellow Nigerians who are who are in the country, like we go into banking, we go into professional services, we we go into PE, um, and then eventually we kind of go to Lagos or or whatever, and then we start doing investments there. And and I feel like we, you know, that journey is really good at developing and building a a operator mindset. And let me be very clear, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's different to a entrepreneurial or or, or or very early stage mindset where this is these are people who are, you know, let's just fantastic at thinking of KPIs, you know, um, sticking to KPIs and just bringing about growth, sustained and sometimes even rapid, but 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 especially if it's a large organization, sustained growth. And normally, I find people who who've been in professional services for for a very long time, they're just fantastic at that, right? Now, you were really interesting because um, you know your thoughts. Like, like you were not only able to just like vie with us on those kind of more philosophical, as you said, esoteric ideas around brand and stuff, you clearly thought about them, which, yeah, we find lots of people have, they get the, the notion of narratives, but you are also, despite your background, just just falling head over heels and just wanting to go into that space and obviously still in that space. And it's like that, that, that I don't know, is it a shift from operator to, to there? I know you still do things in the kind of, in the consultancy space. Obviously you've got Alpha Sierra and you've st- you still do things in that area. But like, I mean, that's, it's quite hard to hold that diversity of, of, of thinking and execution. Like, so kind of like, what can you, can you pinpoint where that come around? Or is it just, you know, I just wanted to, see the other side and and now i like to play both sides so to speak i mean i mean what happened there you've always tried to put me in a archetype you've made me take what you maybe take one of these tests yeah and, the Myers-Briggs. i love the Myers-Briggs. the Myers-Briggs. and i was i hate being boxed into things yeah. but yeah even but i had to admit though. no 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 not only was it not bad i i was shocked at how yeah. uh accurate it was yeah. and for, you, somebody you who hates thought, being you, you yeah. thought some of those guys you thought basically your old firm had basically sent someone to do the research on you right and you're like <laughs> exactly i was like someone's been investigating me or you've been speaking to my 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 partner or something um look i i, I don't know the answer to that question honestly i've always i've always been really interested in in really creative stuff i studied philosophy at university mm-hmm. it was like you know, languages, philosophy is my first degree before I got my law degree. I've always been, I've always had that, um, that kind of uh, propensity to think in those terms. But then I became a lawyer, right? And so then I, I, I then also had to develop the ability to be pretty formulaic and rules-based and process-driven in some ways. Uh, wasn't mm-hmm. a lawyer for very long. <laughs> Maybe that's why. But, um, <laughs> but I was, but after a couple of years, you know, and so, 
so um yeah I, I think it's possible to hold both of those ideas in your head at the same time i think it's possible to recognize that even the the most moving and compelling concept that is beautifully rendered in a visual way which everybody falls in love with in love with will flop painfully if there is not some form of operational and business capacity to turn it into something that can sustain itself right yeah at the same time the best most clinically run business um might generate over time a lot of revenue and profit and be considered really successful but is it ever going to reach that zenith that we talk about which is is it going to is it going to be is it going to transcend the environment that it was created for and mm. move the dial globally for our region no yeah not without more right yeah so yeah. And, and yeah and and, and I, I really like so so i like what you said and like it because you know it, it brings me to this conversation i had with somebody um just actually a couple of weeks ago and 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 this is what i mean by by, by this dance through the box because it's really easy as you go as you stay in a sector to get influenced by the sector right and i can think of two people in particular there's one guy i spoke to two weeks ago another guy's a friend and i spoke to him about this a really long time ago so one guy i spoke to two weeks ago he's an engineer um in in background in training quite entrepreneurial but engineer and he's um since i mean a while ago moved to a bank and beforehand when he was entrepreneurial and, and, and in the engineering space he was like it's it's about the vision the vision because he's a very vision oriented person but he started having a conversation with me and said actually you know i've been speaking to my boss in the bank and and if you think about it like finance is like the most important part right of a company and 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 I would just and I just vibed with him and, and spoke to him and I said look it's not that finance is the most because what's happened is you're trying to reduce the irreducible right just like you said finance is a very 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 important part to a business right so is you know the very early stage vision engineering so is marketing otherwise the issue comes about when you say actually at the at the lowest and the most profound level it's all about finance because in the end of the day if you think about it finance is value add right so you need to have something to invest into right but then also the vision you know, and the early stage you might go hey well it's not value add it's pure creation of ip but then it's not as you say it's not going to go anywhere if you actually don't fuel it with, with, with you know with a proper revenue model business model marketing finance etc and i always find that you know the other guy that a friend of mine he's you know he started off in brand marketing, et cetera. And he thinks like he's been pushing like insubstantive stuff for so long that now me as an engineer, when I'm, when I'm saying, Hey, no, I, I really appreciate branding. Cause I started off like, Hey, forget about the brand, just build the time machine. Everyone will come. He's like, he like, we have violent conversations where he's like, no, just forget about the brand, forget about the brand, it's the product, the product, the product. So it, it really is hard. I, I find that people find it hard to, to, to appreciate, to understand where they're strong, but then appreciate the other, the, the, you know, the other part, if you know, so that makes sense. It makes complete sense. And actually maybe that begins to explain why I've, I've, I haven't had that issue because I had a, I studied, you know, I studied, I, I did two degrees, I studied law, 
Um, I thought I was going to be a lawyer for a while. I did it for a while, for a few years, and then I just completely shifted careers and I left it behind, right? While I was mm. a lawyer, me and every other lawyer thought that law was the beginning and everything, uh, the yeah. beginning of everything. Mm. Uh, that thought pattern was interrupted fairly early on for me in my career. Okay. So then okay. I moved to something else and I was like, wow, this is super interesting. Also, I moved into something, an industry, which really only made sense in the context of other disciplines, right? Fine. Um, so we would go speak to the investment bankers, then we'd go speak to the lawyers, then we'd go speak to the head of security, then we'd go speak to the CEO and the board. And you start to see that all these things are super important. And also I worked in an industry for a long time, which was considered always as, as a really, like a luxury add-on. Um, mm. Like once you've got these other components in place, then we'll bring this in to try and like enhance that, right? So it like, I, I had to get over myself of working mm. in an industry, recognizing that, you know what? Like, okay, fine. I'm not working in an industry that claims to be the most critical, um, you know, component of any particular deal. So that was good for, yeah. for, the, for the existential ego, the existential career <laughs> ego. Um, and then, and then, um, I think that, yeah, I think that, that, uh, it, it allows you to sort of get over yourself and realize, um, you know what, like there's, it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of components to this, you know? And mm. I think that's, and that's why I was able to, to, to come from professional services or, or, you know, over 12 years of professional services and really, really massively appreciate, um, two disciplines I'd never worked in. Right. Yeah. in terms of, um, or two sides of, of the charts that, that I'd never worked in professionally, one being the maker side and the building and mm. the engineering and the, and, and the tech stuff. And the other being the, the, the narratives and the sort of visual identity and string it all together. And then putting that into something that can comprehensively from the, from zero to launch and, and pass that actually create like a self-sustaining venture that's mm. that's not just designed to generate revenue it's designed to really try and move shift like create a massive shift you know mm. yes yes financially and commercially but also in terms of how people view the region right it's like yeah you, you, you take all these multiple disciplines and you all you do is try to generate game changes. That's, yeah. That is very different to um, the more pastoral, agricultural approach of most corporates where we're mm. just trying to tend to the status quo and marginally yeah. improve it over time. Yeah. <laughs> let, let people say that I was a good steward of this company when I hang up right. my boots, right? And we need those. We need yeah. we need those, right? If you to use a sports analogy, right? We need, you know, if you're in I'm not really a cricket fan. I was forced to play cricket really young. Okay. So I'm yeah. gonna use an American version of this. Uh, but forgive me. Just on the but, cricket, um, are you were you a batsman or a bowler? Because I was a fast bowler. Same. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Stand, standard black eye issue. Uh, standard <laughs> black eye. So, um, so, <laughs> so baseball, right? You you need people yeah. on the team that are just going to swing for the fences each time, but you also yeah. need someone who's going to bunt it, bunt to first base, load the bases, yeah. and then yeah. like increment to get you there, right? And I think yeah. that it's the same. We need we need people who are going out there 
looking after massive legacy businesses and not being overly radical and they need to have skills and discipline. It's very difficult and you need to be incredibly smart to make a success of that, right? But then we also need people who are swinging for the fences, trying to produce game changes at a fairly regular basis. I think our region mm. needs both of those things. And for I think, sure. but I think the emphasis has been on the former for yeah. a very, very long time. And so that's yeah. why we're emphasizing the latter. Now, you know, how do you create a game changing brand and company and product? Um, mm. that's from or focused on Africa. And when we say game changing, we mean game changing in the region, but also potentially global, globally game changing in some way, right? Mm. Very difficult to do. We're trying to do something that hasn't really been done. And yeah, and, definitely and in that region. In that region, right? And so um, we need people doing both. And that's why we're emphasizing this, not because we're dismissive of, you know, legacy corporate brands or approaches. It's just because there's a lot of emphasis on those. And that's been the norm. So, hey, guys, what about this? Can we create some some sort of um, approach and discipline and structure towards trying to reliably turn out these game-changing, um, really massively influential um, products and brands um, mm. that, are, that, are, that, are, that, that have um, a tie into to our region? Exactly. And I think, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It's like, I, if you had to dial it down to something, if you had to reduce it to something, which again, is really irreducible because it's all these nuances. But if there was one thing you had to focus on, this sounds cliche, but you know, what we say about cliches is, is, is cliches, you know, everyone goes there thinking there's going to be some, some new magic formula, but in reality, it is just the same thing, but you just do that consistently well with, with good discipline. You know, it is really the customer if you think about it, right? So it's kind of like, a human analogy, um, you know, we, a, a, a corporate, just like a human, um, but obviously slightly different legal entity, but you know, an, an entity nonetheless, but it's like, how can, if you are thinking about other people, um, thinking about yourself less and others more, right. Um, you tend to add value to others and that not only brings you joy, but brings others happiness, right? So I'll dif differentiate joy and happiness there. Joy is more of like internal contentment, you know, far more st steady state, you know, it doesn't vacillate as much, whereas happiness is a, you know, can be an up and down thing. But I think similar to company, it's this, what is, and I think what's so important, you know, with what, with narratives and what we try to do at Mustard is not only thinking about the customer. So if you were to, you know, sometimes people say products and brands or products and narratives, that's like two sides of the brain. But after, if you just focus in on who we are focused on, which is the customer, then actually what it is, is we're trying to bring them value and um, in, in different ways. One, in terms of there's functional value in terms of something you actually really need, um, a widget or some kind, but also this kind of more, should I say, societal familial value that you might give to a friend by communicating with them and you know saying hey it's okay like there's a there's a brand we're currently we're building that's you know one of the key things that underlies it is hope right and it's hope in a re in, in a region that requires hope at least in this context and it's yes i can give you this thing that is going to functionally help your life but you know if 
we if we see a beggar on the street and all we do is give you know and, and the person's also despondent for being on the street all we do is give the person cash that is going to make us feel great in one sphere but actually it's not and it's going to make that person feel great in one sphere but actually it's not the whole picture and the whole image so i feel like again not saying that those are the only two things that we can do but actually if we're talking about you know the product is like a, addressing the physical need and the narrative is like addressing the the, the spiritual the 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 relational need and, and and i think that's when what we do starts to look like one thing as opposed to two things in products and products and narratives or products and brands does, does that kind of make sense yeah it does yeah um crudely one speaks to the mind one speaks to the heart maybe right yeah um, yeah, yeah exactly and uh and you need both those things to to function uh, well, well no one well, no, no one speaks to the Oh, maybe the because definitely the heart, but I think one speaks to the current situation. So it's almost like if you find somebody and like, I am right now, I am, you know, in, in destitution, right? I need food, something that's physical and functional, but actually I, you know, uh, food can only get me so far. I also do need some kind of level of comfort and 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 relate and you know imagine if I'm alone and destitute, I need food, but I but actually I could also use comfort, right? Because then after so one's almost speaking to the physical, the 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 I don't know if that makes sense. One's speaking almost to the physical, and the other speaking to the to the metaphysical, if I may say, to be crude but also slightly esoteric. I like mine better. <laughs> 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 I just 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 try to you know stilt the language and just make the whole thing loftier than it necessarily needs to be. Oh, hilarious! No, but I, I yeah, I get I get exactly what you're saying, and it's it's true. And I I think um you know you look at look there's a, there's a certain there's a some here, here's here's what narrative to me in some ways. There's lots of so many different ways to describe it and to experience it, especially when I came in. But one of the things that struck me was it was there's something about the most transformative brands and products of our time. There's the mm. thing they make, then there's this intangible appeal and pull. And the, it, to, to the untrained eye, it looks like it has just come about as a result of either luck or wizardry. But actually, there's, <laughs> <laughs> but actually there, there is a, there is a, there are objectively identifiable and ascertainable and potentially repeatable things that go into creating that intangible appeal, that intangible mm -hmm. magnetism, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that what narrative is an exercise in that, I think. And I think what mustard is, is an exercise in that, right? Is, mm -hmm. um, you know, and sorry to reel out this massively cliched example, but with Apple, right? Okay, I was gonna say can we use a different company, but sure. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, with Apple, yeah, I started with Red Bull, um, fine, with, fine. but with Apple, I think that's what it is. For, love it or hate it, there's a these yeah. guys created something that we'd never seen before. Not just yeah. the not just the 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 phone or the or the iPod, the, but the this intangible magnetism towards mm. all of it, right? Yeah, and. It's no surprise, we found this out much later, but it's no surprise this guy went and studied calligraphy and did all this other stuff, which yeah. a lot of people felt like, well, what's the point of that? That's just, just you know, just use the font that's already there. And he was like, no, every part of this needs to be 
explored to its fullest. And then yeah. it comes together in unexpected and expected ways. And mm. I think that therein lies what, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an alchemy at work, I think, which um, again, to the untrained eye looks like it's hocus pocus, but actually it's funny that a lot of the brands that have reached near that status or that status, they do have identifiable, ascertainable and repeatable ways of trying to generate this intangible appeal. Mm. And, and and I think one thing, you know, I will I will vibe with you and go with Apple, which is normally the, oh yeah, brand Apple, right? I'll vibe you. Cause there's one thing, because I was actually Apple actually came up in a in in some client work recently. And and you know, we tend to use Apple when we're talking about brand values. If people somebody's trying to understand what brand values are, right? Now Normally, for, for a lot of people, when they go brand and things, and I speak to people, especially when I speak to, so to quite pragmatic people, should I say, they'd go, oh, yeah, brand values. And, you know, cool. All right, move on. And actually, a lot of people think brand values are like integrity, right? But the really interesting thing that happened, uh, you know, that, that, I'll, that I'll speak about, which I don't know if many people gather or capture, or maybe they do, and I'm just, I don't speak to enough people. But if you look at Apple's 1981 brand value. So this is what 1980, they've got recently changed ones by Tim Cook, but they had some in 1981 penned by um, Steve Jobs, or at least by the team in 1981. Um, I would say there's a, there's a couple of things that are there and yeah, they're values, but they're also like, it's like, a th- I've, I, I, I've been trying to marry this link between thoughts, belief and approach. And I think brand values are approach. And I think there's thought and belief. So, so no, let's put it this way. There's experience, thought, and belief. And your ex, your your experiences can, can, can shape your beliefs and thoughts. And your beliefs and thoughts make some kind of thing that then you, you see the world a particular lens, which shapes your experiences. You tend to always meet people who exercise like you, et cetera. And then that now comes from an approach, which is actually because of these experiences and these thoughts and beliefs that have kind of reinforced each other, I now do this, which is I don't like to lie because I found out from my experiences, let's say, because my dad was a, you know, or my mom or my friend was a compulsive liar and it led them to this particular place. And then I had this really sharp experience and it made me think maybe it's you know, not good to her. Then I started hanging around with non-liars and people who don't like lying. And now I've got this approach to life, which is, you know, I don't like to tell lies as opposed to someone going, Andrew, don't tell lies. And you go, yes, sir. And you, you know, you're not going to hold on to it. There were a couple things that is in Apple. One is one person, one computer, right? Because remember, they were about the personal computer back in the day because mm-hmm. the computers weren't personal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What, they were very much corporate things. One person, one computer. They've also got this really big thing on simplicity mm-hmm. as well, right? And finally, which is, I, can, I think it's a slightly more modern, and by modern, I don't mean 2000s. I think, you know, in the kind of like the 90s, especially when Steve Jobs came back and he did his um, Think Different campaign. It's It's what was added to one person, one computer and, and the kind of doing things simply was, you know, using, you know, making devices, tools, et cetera. So that one person, one computer that can change the world. So giving it to people that can change things. Right. And if you look at it, and this is what, what why I think brand, you know, I think narratives are so, so key and thought process so, so key is, is when you meditate on those things, you manifest them not only in campaigns, but they're manifest in products, 
And if you look at the products, let's say the key products of 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 the Apple, yes, initially it was just personal company, personal company, but lots of things have always been very personal. They've also been, um, uh, uh, you know, very very w- well designed and simple, um, but they've they've kind of also been. Should I say sometimes you might say overly powerful because maybe you need to be creative and and and, and do things that also kind of go and change the world. But but in all of that, if you see where that you know one personal computer, so very personal, you know simplicity before anything else, so very simple, and then giving you things that could change the world, that then manifests in a lot of its not just its products, but then its advertising campaigns and stuff that it does there, and it gives people that feel of I want to use a Mac to do game-changing stuff, right? One, I want to be one person with a Mac, right? A one person with an, with an iPod, with an iPhone, whatever. And, and yeah, it's just been, they've just been, they've made personal devices and they've made ecosystems of personal devices to make it very easy and simple for one person to go into an ecosystem, to use their different devices to do fantastic things that might be able to change stuff. And it's like, when you start with a narrative, it's a lot easier to come up with this this infinite spectrum of of products but if you start with the product and let's say they built the Mac 2 or the Mac 1 or just an iPhone and made a made a company around that then it becomes very difficult to to innovate and to think of the next thing because you go well it needs to be an iteration or some kind of thing closer to to the iPhone um so it's uh, you know that I don't know if that makes sense but that's 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 the kind of when I see things that are hard narratives and 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 even with Red Bull we spoke about you know Red Bull it's an energy drink but then after it's because it's all about energy and 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 dynamism one of it after you're able to now go and make a red bull f1 team and make a, a red bull football team and have everything on a website that actually has nothing to do with with the drink but has everything to do with you know just just high octane you know competition and other stuff like that um yeah that's and, that's me about narratives and and it just occurred to me as you were talking about that um mm. what that powerful narrative it's like a string pulling all of those disparate yeah. parts together and what it provides is coherence yeah yeah and coherence is very elusive and also very um like it's a it's like powerful thing if you have if you have it i mm. think and and i think that you know going to brands like red bull they can do all these random things. Who knew this guy was just trying to make a very a caffeine drink based drink in Thailand, right? Yeah. That ultimately, you know, you would be um, tied to so many different things, and they would retain its coherence. Same yeah. with, with Apple, right? Started off trying to put music in everyone's pocket. Now, you know, now like what they're trying to do. Same with I would mm-hmm. argue, I would argue same with um, the Virgin brand, you know, and what he's managed yeah, yeah. to do. Um, started off as a record label, then mm. now they're in aviation and now space. Like mm. it's, it's you couldn't. They're get... all about pushing boundaries. It's like it's 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 him, right? It's Richard Branson pushing it, boundaries. Exactly. And the, and the, and there's and, and everything they do, you know. They, they, if you ask twenty people that are, that have been exposed to the Virgin brand, I think, and ask them to just like roll out certain adjectives around it, never having met each other or thought about it very deeply, I suspect mm. you would come up with like, what would people say? Right. Mm. And I think, and I think that if they didn't use words like 
if they didn't use these exact words, things like vitality, life affirming, adventure, push boundaries, it, then they would say words that are very close to those. Anti-establishment, anti-establishment, stuff like that. Exactly. But, but, then they'd say words that are close what? to those. And that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting yeah. uh, idea, right? <laughs> But, but but I tell you one thing though, and here's my here's my criticism of the Virgin brand in particular. I would say with things like um, Virgin gyms, which I know they did sell off, if I remember, I would say that is incoherent with the brand. It doesn't it doesn't it, it doesn't fit into the brand, it, 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 in my opinion. I don't know what you think well, about that. I so here, here's an interesting thing about that. I think it's the least um, it's the least like virginy. Um, yeah. thing they do, but I don't think it's because of they couldn't do gyms. I think it's because they did a lot of growth by acquiring other gym chains. Okay, okay, okay. And I think I think a lot of maybe they did also did acquisitive strategies in other areas, but I suspect mm. I suspect that they if they built gyms from the ground up. Yeah, kind of like what they did with the the airplanes, right? With their, with Virgin planes and Virgin is it Virgin planes, Virgin somethings? Yeah. yeah. I, Exactly. I don't think they really changed anything about going to the gym. Yeah. I think that was a yeah. very commercial play. Are you going to a virgin gym? I, I literally, in Namibia, we used to have a gym called the Health and Racket Club. It was South African or it was mm. in, popular in South Africa and in yeah. Namibia and it's Health and Racket Club. And then one day it was just a virgin gym and that was that. It was a rebranding exercise. Mm. You couldn't really, couldn't really see anything different about it. And so... Yeah. You know, I, I think that that was the, the problem, right? It's very and I, anti. It wasn't, yeah, it, was, because it, it, it wasn't built from the ground up and it was, I think they could have done. It wasn't challenging because, because they love to be, exactly. you know, even from, from the get go from his, well, his newspaper and his records, they love to be like fighting against a bigger player and being an underdog. And then, you know, I, I remember the, so Virgin, one of the, one of the initial acts or, or, or um, cause he was literally just throwing Hail Marys, Branson, right? At a very early age, kind of, he had left school, et cetera, throwing Hail Marys. And he actually signed, and I'm quite sure about this, but correct if I'm wrong, maybe anyone who's listening is um, he signed, um, so Tubular Bells, right? I can't remember the chap who wrote it, but Tubular Bells was essentially the, the soundtrack for The Exorcist, right? Uh, and the exorcist ended up becoming huge and they you know obviously made a lot of money got got some big kind of stardom and fandom around that but they were really and then they started doing things i think they had like the sex pistols and things like that and again very much part of their kind of anti-establishment against other record labels you know people now going all right you need to kind of get down and trying to shut them up and what have you so that's very very virgin and obviously virgin in their fight with you know with, with british airways and otherwise and so yeah when you now get to the gym it seems very comfortable very you know yeah well you know it and you also, works and yeah and you literally just bought a chain of very establishment gyms and then rebranded them very different yeah. to what they've done elsewhere i think yeah. So mm. I, I don't think it's because they couldn't do gyms. I think it was a really interesting category for them to go into. I think that it's the one that maybe they didn't really, they almost like went against their own ethos, maybe at least in, mm. in, 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 in the, in the countries that I live where they just acquired these gyms and didn't really companies, change them. Yeah. And it was like, you know, um, so, mm. so, but yeah, but I, I, um, I, I think that the point remains, which is these iconic brands, whether it's Red Bull or Virgin or Apple or whatever the case may be, there's a co there's generally speaking a coherence that they have. Correct. And Correct. I think that the re despite their diversified the diversified nature of their 
portfolio, there's mm. there's a feel to them that yeah. people resonate with. Um, and that I think can be ultimately at some point tied back to what people probably describe as a mission or value statement, but what really is an enduring narrative that has tr- tied together all of those things for over time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, I think, you know, just like you talk about the co- co- coherence that, how can I say that kind of um, single directionist, I love it when, you know, but before we even get to brand values and things like that, we try to get really underneath the narrative and go, what is, I, I like to say, what's the like, because a narrative is a story, obviously, what would be the title to this story? And I call that the kind of brand theme, yeah. right? What would be the title to this story? If you, if you just had one phrase, you know, it's normally a phrase or what have you, what would be the title? And if you've got the title with the brand theme, essentially, you've got to remember that we've, you know, part of this title is, um, so let's say, let's say, I am not saying this is, you know, but let's say Virgin's title is, you know, the, 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 you know, the anti-establishments and the underdogs or something like that. Right. And then you can just imagine they're going to have values that obviously link to that but they're going to have a continuing story which is present continuous still going on today and as long as that as long as you can open the book and you can go to any page and you know read a section of it you know a lot a big enough section for it to be in context and it still makes sense that it's part of that then that that works and and, you know it's it's like dropping water right uh or, or a small amount of water on a rock you're gonna you're gonna chip away at it over time um, as opposed to if it's a, a kind of much wider, broader kind of spray, right? So coherence is really powerful and 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 the story of the narrative is extremely powerful. Also, I think I brought this up last time as well, but I think you know they say that the process of creating a business plan is more important than the business plan itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's more valuable than the business plan itself, right? Yeah. Um, because the business plan could change on day one. Um, yeah, normally does. <laughs> I think, no, it, it, it normally does, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so I wonder if there's an analog there, which is in order to sit down and create a, a narrative which strings together all the other components that you need to create a business and, and a product and a brand, Th- that is quite like in-depth work in some instances, which asks you, <laughs> you always have to ask yourself these searching questions, right? Yeah, like, exactly. um, you know, and, and it's okay. It doesn't mean, look, what I'm not saying is that I really don't like this thing where every company feels like it has to be meeting some like, metaphysical, um, you know, value statement almost right like yeah exactly it's like sometimes you make stools for bars you know yeah and that's yeah really important you don't need to be driving change and inspiring ingenuity through bar stools (laughs) you know what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) um which is like what you see too often now but i do think um if you want to have Look at these guys who did these um, these Dollar Shave Club guys. Yeah, right. This is 
fairly simple idea. Right. Cheap razors that are pretty good quality. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys have gone way beyond now razors in terms of impact and shaving. Yeah. And they're yeah. now they're now a massive example and case study of ingenuity, creativity, entrepreneurship, which I'm sure has opened up like so many other doors and avenues for them to grow and, and generate revenue beyond their their um uh, shaving shave. shaving equipment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's the difference between a um a random bic mm. packet of bic um disposable razors. Yeah. And these dudes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Bic bic yeah. bic's never really gonna transcend shaving. <laughs> mm, exactly. Uh, well it's well it's more I mean I mean Dollar Shave Club and even I'll go to that to that bar stall example. Like it's it yeah, you don't always have to and, and I think that's what sometimes we don't get, right? And 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 sometimes we look at, you know, like we work and I can't remember what 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 you know they they used to say. They used to say something like changing I don't can't remember what they said, something like changing consciousness or something. I have no idea. But right. Yeah. But essentially like it you know sometimes you can just look at something and it sounds unnecessarily like Pompous. stilted stilted and self-aggrandizing yeah. right like you can just say so with the bar store well again who is it related to who's our kind of reduced when we're reducing things what, what you know who do we go back to it's the customer right mm. and we go we just make it human right so what is it hey i'm just a guy who um i wasn't good at education wasn't good at maths and GCSEs at school. Let's say we're looking at um, the UK environment. Didn't really get the distinct thingy. You know, was just always really good with my hands. I live in the sticks in the middle of nowhere, um, but I live in a place that's got really good British oak. And um, you know, I used to make stuff with my dad, and now I've just fallen in love with bar stools. You know why? I love the pubs of Britain. I love. The different things, and I see that we're moving away to we're moving to these really sophisticated chairs and things in the office. But actually, we can do better with the bar stool. We can do better with the bar stool. We can still make it more comfortable. We can still think, and you know what? We can use the best wood, right? That can make it a lasting, and you know, a a a fantastic addition, not just to your to your pub work, but also to your home. So we make British bar stools, and in particular, we make bar stools from. Winchester, Northamptonshire, et cetera. You know, Brilliant. Like, that's that's human, right? Brilliant. Somebody's gonna go, somebody's gonna resonate with that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be with these bar stools, we're gonna change the world yeah. like three legs at a time. <laughs> furthering right? furthering human consciousness through bar stools. Bar stools. <laughs> <laughs> <Do you know? laughs> arguably I'm gonna be doing the opposite of that. But um <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we could just be like that. And, you know, the guys from Dollar Shave Club, like what you know, what were they on about? Well, look, like yes, you can get a you can get a cheaper razor, right? Yeah. We can still make a good razor for a cheaper price because we just looked at the model. But you know, we can have fun while doing it. And you know, we're a bunch of millennials and stuff, and yeah, and we just like to we just like to look, we don't take ourselves too seriously when exactly. we brand ourselves. We like it to be really good quality. Exactly. But like we just like to have fun as well. Yeah. If you like having fun, yeah. Why don't you have fun with us? Yeah. And you know, people are buying it because they want to have fun with them. They don't yeah. know them, but they want to have fun with them. Yeah. And 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 there was a Exactly. And I bet you if you're in the room with these guys, maybe the initial idea came up 
came by quite naturally. I feel like it probably did, but I bet mm. there was a lot of thought and refinement in terms of, hey, what are we trying to communicate here and stand for? And I think it's exactly what you just said, right? They were like, mm. like why? Firstly, people being ripped off, um, yeah. they shouldn't be ripped off. Secondly, you know, the stuff doesn't have to be like all high, like, because remember every single other shaving thing before that, campaign before that was like a chiseled bronzed guy slowly like you know what i mean like in front of a mirror and a white towel you know what i mean with like some razor bumps no razor bumps right (laughs) yeah yeah it's like (laughs) how many how many dudes are that guy you know what i mean whereas these guys like listen he's got this great woman who comes behind him and just kisses his like solid jawline exactly 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 um meanwhile that's 90 percent of dudes uh, you know they don't. They, you know they don't take it so seriously. They don't take themselves as yeah. seriously. And so these guys, like, there's a poking of the finger in the eye that I really liked. Yeah. I think made this really successful. Yeah. And I don't think that was. I think to sustain the original flash of brilliance might have come in naturally, but I think to sustain mm. that over a period of time, there was it was a much more deliberate effort than people might realize. You're absolutely right. And and this is why, you know, if if we kind of almost, you know, full circle it with mustard, right? This is why over time we've just said we need to be working at the very beginning, not, hey, I just raised 10 million, you know, come and help us. Because the Dollar Shave guys, you know, this this chap who makes, you know, that we just made up or who makes, you know, bar stores in Northampton, uh, you know, in, in, in England or what have you, English Oak or what have you, like initially they would have just been being themselves if they've been genuine. You know what? I'm going to make stools. I love making stools and da, da, da. They would have just been themselves. And if we can capture, that's the thing. People don't, people struggle to, especially in those situations, especially if they're just kind of trying to start something for cash, right? Because they're like, hey, I just need to, they struggle to, but even if they're being reflective, it's hard to, it's hard to be that self-reflective Right. It's easier, you know, you know, it's easier for your spouse to kind of point out your flaws or your parents to say, hey, you know what? Andrew was always good at X, Y, Z. And you go, oh, really? Oh, okay, interesting. I just didn't look at myself. So it's easier for somebody else to find those. And once you find those and you push along with that, then it's okay. How can we ensure as you move along through life as a corporate life, et cetera, that actually you make the right content, right values, right, what do you call that, so that you're consistent in this area. Because as soon as you bring another person, right, imagine you're a sole founder, it, you know, that person rightly so necessarily will shape what you do. But how can we get them to shape what you do and not completely take you off course, right? How can we get you to not go, hey, you know, we used to muck around back in the day, but now we need to be serious. And seriousness is wearing a tie and, and you know, getting, you know, a big agency to to run the campaigns and, and actually listen to what they have to say. And they go, hey, you need to get a chiseled man on here and you need to, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's free. Maybe he'll do it if we if we pay more of our profits, you know? So um, exactly. it, 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 it's really good working with founders because all these narratives normally, again, like I said last time, you know, it's, we need to think of companies as human beings and essentially, you know, their genesis, it's best done when their genesis is not their founding date. Their genesis is essentially almost, let me give, give, give me give you this analogy. When they're founded is like when the baby is actually born, right? Comes out of the womb. But you know, in Japan, you're as old as when you were first conceived. So so we need to get you right from conception, which is right when you're 
you're in the mind of the founder when he looks around he sees the issues and from those issues and from and from his personality or her personality etc the company is born so we need to capture it from there not from as soon as you exit the womb and then all of a sudden you've got somebody slaps the bottom you get lights lights camera camera and you'll just completely start to be shaped by what's out there right we need to make sure that incubation period um is as powerful and we can get as much as we can from that period as possible 